Welcome back, everyone, for another episode of According to RP on WJMS Radio. It's your girl, Rita Pierre, your host. And as always, I hope you guys are striving, thriving, and surviving in these corona-infested streets. So we have made it to the month of September, and tomorrow is Labor Day. I know Labor Day is a big thing, at least in New York, but unfortunately, because of the Rona, um, the Labor Day Parade... I mean, I would like to say it's canceled, but I'm hearing that there's like a virtual Labor Day parade celebration. Not really sure what all that's going to entail, but to be very honest, I mean, if you're not on the parkway, are you really celebrating Labor Day? Are you really witnessing the parade? So I'm not really sure if I'm going to partake in these online festivities, but apparently the option is there. So for those of you who are still looking to get your FET on, um, you can wear your costume in your living room and um, attend the parade virtually. (laughs) So, But either way, happy September. Really happy to be in a new month. September for me marks a period of, I don't know, organization it's like a a time of I don't know it's I feel like a a rebirth almost you know you you were chilling during the summer and now you're back on the grind so it's like grind mode um although we're still in a pandemic and so grind mode I guess is not I don't know (laughs) I guess I don't know I don't know what's really happening we're in a pandemic so I don't know if we're really in grind mode but you guys know what I mean the air is crisper kids are going back to school allegedly people are you know I guess their workload is increasing. So, um, but either way, (laughs) we have a very, very special show today. It's going to be a long one. I'm alerting you guys right now. Today is going to be a longer show, but it is an important show. It's going to be an impactful show. I have a very special guest by the name of Ja Ace, who's a community leader. He's a youth advocate, a life coach, and an alternative to incarceration um, counselor. (laughs) Um, so he's going to be on and he's going to talk about his life, but he's more importantly, he's going to talk about the youth and talk about some of these unspoken truths when it comes to the youth, the community, the streets, incarceration, um, and things of that nature. Right now we're in this, this, this period, right? Where gun violence is riddling the streets. Kids are dying every single day. Uh, the community is, is suffering and you know, these issues are arising, but the people that seem to be the loudest seem to also be the ones who really don't have a real grasp of what is truly going on. So it's really important for us to speak to those who are actually on the ground who have lived that life, been there, done that, and can truly be a guide to how to really effectuate change in our community. So you definitely want to keep it locked for this. um, It's not really an interview, but for this conversation. But before we get into the meat of the show, I'm going to quickly go through our preliminaries because, again, like I said, it's going to be a long episode. I do not want you guys to to, uh, dip out. But it is now time for our Urban Dictionary Word or Phrase of the Week. Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? May I have the 
the definition. Um, what does skeet skeet mean? What's on fleek? Can you use it in a sentence? Hopping on fleek to lit. And it's gonna be lit. Major key. It's time for the Urban Dictionary word or phrase of the week. So this week's Urban Dictionary word or phrase of the week is steezy. Now, I feel like I've used this at some point in my life. I'm not really sure how old this word is. I mean, actually, it says 2007 is when this this person uh, posted it. Oh, and the contributor is called Nigalicious Zor. Interesting. Interesting. Anyways, the word of the week is steezy and it means style with ease. Example, damn, that was a steezy ass kickflip, son. Interesting. Now, I've, I've heard people say, like, you're trying to bite my steez. Don't bite my steez. I'm assuming that is a derivative of the word steezy, which apparently means style with ease. Interesting. Interesting, interesting, interesting. I don't think I knew the actual, like, I mean, I knew what it meant, but I didn't think there was an actual full definition behind it. But thanks to Nigalicious Zor, um, now we know what steezy means. So that is the word of the week. So now it's time for the big up of the week. So this week's big up of the week goes to a 16 year old boy by the name of Trenton Lee. So I'm not really sure if any of you guys know the story already, but he is a 16 year old boy making wigs for cancer patients in need. So I'm getting this story from Afrotech.com, but it's been all over the place. CNN, ABC News, you name it. So Trenton, who's already established himself as the bomb wig maker for celebrities such as Cardi B and Black China, has successfully created his own entrepreneurial venture called Lux by Trenton. So he's a teen entrepreneur. And instead of just, you know, making money and, 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 you know, being an entrepreneur, he wanted to also be, I guess, some sort of philanthropist, right? So he decided that he was going to partner with a nonprofit organization by the name of Ronald McDonald House to give wigs, custom wigs, for sick children who suffer from hair loss due to medical reasons. Now, Ronald McDonald House always had a place in my heart because when my brother was younger, um, he had, you know, some surgeries and some some complications that led us to actually stay at the Ronald McDonald House. So I'm very familiar with this organization personally. And the children and the families who stay there, you know, it's it's definitely a wonderful organization that's really, you know, really about helping those in need. So the fact that this young man at 16 years old, he could have been doing anything. He could have been in these streets. He could have been playing video games all day, decided that he was not only going to be an entrepreneur, but that he was going to give back to those in need. So the big up of the week goes to Trenton Lee. So with every high, we know that there is a low. So this week's low goes to a woman who went by the name of Jess Labamera, but whose government name is actually Jessica A. Krug. Now, I don't know how many of you followed this story, but this woman, Jessica A. Krug, outed herself this week through a medium.com article stating that she is a white professor who has been pretending to be black for her entire professional career. Does this sound familiar? Yes, because several years ago we had Rachel Dolezal, who was also, I think she might have been a professor. She was also like vice president of some chapter of the NAACP. Um, 
out here fighting for the rights of black and, and brown people and identifying as somebody who's, you know, you know, in, involved in the struggle, who, who the struggle was affecting. And turns out that this woman was a white woman co-opting the black experience. So here, several years later, we have another one who has emerged from the ashes. I don't know if somebody threatened her and was like, if you don't tell them, I will. I don't know. But she decided to out herself. So basically, this woman is an associate professor at George Washington University, and she's written extensively about Africa, Latin America, the black, uh, you know, the black experience, the Latina experience. She wrote about her experience being Afro Latina. In fact, I believe she had even talked several times about her family in Dominican Republic uh, owning plantain farms like this woman went in, you know, it wasn't only that she made herself look like she was Afro Latina, but she had whole stories about, you know, her family's villages back in Dominican Republic. Um, what's very interesting, just like Rachel Dolezal, this woman is from Kansas City and she is a white Jewish woman. Right. And over the years, she assumed many identities uh, within the black realm. So first she was North African. Then she became, I guess, Caribbean rooted in the Bronx. So she was an Afro Latina from the Bronx. Um, and so, you know, many people are up in arms about this because here again, we have another example of white privilege. How as a white person, you can decide to be black one day. You could decide to be Asian another day. You can do whatever you want. Um, and at the end of the day, though, it's like this is exactly what we're talking about. This is the type of white privilege that is demeaning to black people. Right. Um, it's hurtful to those of us who are actually in the struggle each and every day. Like personally, if I can, you know, switch suits like that, I would because. I mean, sometimes it's hard being black and sometimes you just want to break. But I cannot do that because my skin is dark. My hair is coarse. I cannot pass for a white person. I cannot pass for an Asian person. Hell, I can't even pass for, you know, I don't know, a North African. Right. So it's really interesting, though, uh, with these particular individuals who have co-opted uh, co the black experience how they always choose the path of academia. And that's so dangerous and it's so disrespectful because here you have students who are probably looking up to these individuals who are probably bearing their souls about how hard it is to be a black or Latina person and, you know, feeling that they had somebody to lean on that could understand, identify with them. And all in all, you know, these, these women were lying to these students. And I just find it very interesting why it's academia. Like that's where you see they tend to um, gravitate to, you know, they're professors of African civilization, professors of African history. They write extensively on the issues of the black experience as people who are experiencing the black experience. And it drives me insane. A part of me actually you know, hoped that she or wished that these people just just keep up with the lie. I think it's more hurtful finding out after the fact that they've spent their entire lives writing and lobbying and doing all these things for black people as in pretending to be a black person. I would much rather them have continued on with this lie and take it to their grave. Like, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what's worse, like me finding out about it now, them coming out with it now, because what does this apology really do? 
you're apologizing to the black community um, for lying and f- for being, you know, I guess for being disrespectful, for being deceitful and all these other things. Like, what are you I mean, what are you what is your apology really supposed to do, you know, at this point? Like, I really don't know what I really think is happening is that maybe she's strapped for cash and she's like, wow, I can get a really good book deal. I can get a Netflix, you know, series just like Rachel Dolezal did. Let me see how I can, you know, take this experience and make some coins off of it. Again, white privilege, because we as black people can do that. Either way, I can go on and on, but I did say it was a very long episode today. So the womp womp of the week goes to Jessica A. Krug. So my thing is this white people like seriously. I mean, if you're not comfortable in the skin that you're in, I mean, I don't know what to tell you, but leave the black experience alone. Stop. It's hard enough already being black. Right. And we're looking for people who I mean, I'm not saying that we don't need allies in this fight against justice, but I mean, be an ally. But don't sit here and like misrepresent and mislead the future generation like you're really out here teaching our children about an experience that is not yours. And because it's not yours, I am. 100% sure that there was a lot of misleading going on, a lot of misinformation going on because you were never black. In fact, you were raised as a white Jewish girl in Kansas City. What the hell do you know about the black experience aside from what you, I don't know, read in a book or saw in a newspaper or saw on TV? Either way, that is (laughs) that is my gripe. So before we get on to the meat of the show, just have a word from our sponsors. My Secret Organics is a natural skincare company. They source their products straight from Africa and test their products with people like you and me for quality. Check out their website at www.mysecretorganics.com and join their mailing list for 10% off of everything you shop. All right, everyone, I'm here with my very special guest, Ace. Ace, say hello. How you doing? How you doing? How's everybody? <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, man, I know we've been doing a lot of work um, these past couple of weeks. I feel like I've known you forever now. <laughs> yeah, you know, communication is key. <laughs> it is. It is. Um, but I'm really happy to have you today to just talk about these important issues that are going on in our community. You know, you've been watching the news just like I have. You're from the community. You see all these issues that are playing out. And I feel like it's not getting the attention it deserves. And so I kind of wanted you to come on today as somebody who's from the community doing work in the community to really talk about like what's actually going on and to talk about your role. Because I really like when I have people from the community talk about what they're doing. I think it's important that the world knows that there are people actually on the ground doing work that we're you know, you're not just chilling at home, but that work is being done, even though it might not be seen on like the mainstream media, mm-hmm. but that there are people working in the communities trying to shift, you know, the change in the narrative. So I want you to introduce yourself to the people. Tell us a little bit about who you are, where you're from, and what you do. All right. My name is Jai Ace. I'm, I'm a uh, counselor. Um, I'm also a life coach, mentor, and I'm an advocate for uh, youth, 
young adults and adults. And um, I've been doing this work for some years now. And um, I'm definitely serious about it. And I'm, I've been... I've been doing it for so long now I feel like it's a duty of mine mm-hmm. and it's like also a way of me giving back to the community you know because I, I was once a part of the community but on a destructive side so uh, my way of giving back is like you know coming coming out and, and basically you know trying to reconstruct things mm-hmm. and be a part of the solution so now you said you're from the community what what oh. community are you from I'm from I'm from Flatbush. I'm from um, East Thirty First. I'm from the whole Vanderveer, the whole that whole Vanderveer area. Mm-hmm. And um, I grew up there. Went to school there. Two sixty PS two sixty nine, the main building annex. You know, went mm-hmm. to Walt Whitman. Went to Erasmus. So I am Flatbush. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so I mean, just tell us a little bit about your upbringing, like your growing up in the Flatbush area. Oh, it was real rough. I ain't gonna lie. It's, you know. Growing up, you know, I, I come from a good family, you know, loving family, real close family. But, um, you know, when you're younger, you know, you can easily gravitate to the wrong things or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. My father, you know, when I was younger, he was there, but just financially, you know, so, and I had uncles and things like that, you know, of course they gave me right advice and my grandfathers and things like that, but they're not there every day. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when my mother's off and she's working and stuff like that, that gave me a little time to like maybe be out and, 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 and I'm watching the older guys, you know, like who were selling the drugs and, and doing the different robberies and stuff like that. So what glitter really made me want to be a part of it you know, seeing the jewelry and the cars and all the girls and all that, I was fascinated by that at a young age. Mm-hmm. And um, which led to me hanging around uh, older guys. And when I when I hung around older guys, I started to learn some of the things that they were doing mm-hmm. and really started to like it. And um, that was basically my introduction to crime. Okay. And I feel like that story resonates with a lot of people, right? This idea um, that, you know, you're out here, you're young, you're seeing these guys, they have the cars, they have the girls, they have the chains. Mm -hmm. And you're just kind of like, wow, like I want that too. And it's interesting that you say that you come from a very good family because there are a lot of people who like that's the opposite, right? Like they didn't come from a good family. They either grew up in the foster care system Mm -hmm. or they were single, you know, single parent household. So a lot of people, when they think about, youth and violence and crime they think they automatically think oh this kid must have been you know in a single parent household where nobody loved them or foster care and that's why but they Mm -hmm. forget that there are a lot of kids and i know a lot of kids personally who are from two parent households grew up in the church went to private schools right and still find their way you know either in gang violence and, and mm-hmm. you know, all these types of crimes in the streets. So it's interesting that, you know, you're you're not really claiming to be part of that narrative that everybody thinks, you know, when it comes to crime and children, but you actually are from like a good family. And it's just, you know, I think that's where the conversation now goes into choices, right? Choices that, that you make. Yeah. Because, you know, at the end of the day, the reality is what? Once you... Your your parents' guardians they set certain guidelines, right, mm-hmm. for you for you to abide by. But 
Once they're off doing whatever they're doing to make a living, you supposedly you supposed to be going to school, right? Mm-hmm. Or wherever you're going or whatever. They're hoping that once you leave the house, right, that you're gonna you know stick to the script or whatever. But that's not the case most of the times. Because once you leave the house, you know that's when you have that freedom. Mm-hmm. You know, and you know some people decide to go left. Mm-hmm. You know, and I just happened to be one of those people that went left. And with my family, I never blamed them for anything because all they ever did was uh, direct me the right way. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, for whatever it is that I was doing or whatever, I took the blame for everything. Because a lot of times people uh, tend to say, oh, you know, it was this person fault, that person fault or whatever. Daddy wasn't there or whatever. Nah, at the end of the day, you knew right from wrong. Mm-hmm. So, but I know that that takes time to get to that point. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I mean, growing up in that area, you know, the Vanderveer area, which they now call Flatbush Gardens. Yeah. Flatbush Gardens and Vanderveer is two different places. Mm-hmm. You know, I come from the, the, the times when Vanderveer had the big high gates and it was they had it like a prison at mm-hmm. one time. You know, and like, if you didn't know somebody in Vanderveer, you couldn't come there. Mm-hmm. Whereas now you see all the flowers, the video cameras and stuff like that. Even though you still have things going on right now, it's it's it's, it's a safer place. Yeah. As in comparison to when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, you, I, I, I've gotten immune when I was younger to seeing people dead and everything laying in the streets or whatever. Crack vials everywhere. Because that's what I saw on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. You know, you could easily come out your house or whatever and see, you know, somebody covered with a white sheet dead or whatever the case may be. And it, it was kind of like normal, mm-hmm. you know, and like that do create something in you mentally, but you don't realize it at the time. Yeah. Yeah. So I know earlier you said that, you know, you went left, right? Mm. How left did you go? Well, I went all the way left, you know, um, with with the older guys that I was hanging with, you know, we, I learned how to, you know, do all types of, we started out stealing, mm-hmm. you know, um, first we used to go in like white neighborhoods, like the Marine Park area mm-hmm. and all, and what we would do is we would fix up old broken up bikes in our neighborhood and we would ride them into the white neighborhoods mm-hmm. the Marine Park and all that area and we would go to their area with the broken up old bike and we would actually steal their bikes and leave the broken up bike because we couldn't afford the uh, $500, $600 bike that mm-hmm. the white boys had. And when once I seen that that was easy and we was doing that, you know, that crime life, was it became even more enticing. Mm-hmm. You know, because you always start out small, whether it's stealing from a store or whatever. It's the, the the whole thing, the element of getting away, mm-hmm. and, and and that 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 adrenaline rush or whatever, and then you know, next thing you know, you start uh, uh, seeing people with things that you want, and you find out ways on how to take it from them, mm-hmm. whether it's jewelry or or, um, or their clothing, whatever the case may be. You know, we I was one of the people that I would I would I would rob you mm-hmm. and take everything from you. If I seen something that you had and I wanted it, I would take it. Mm-hmm. And um, and I, when I look back now that you posed that question, I didn't have remorse. Like 
how the person felt or mm-hmm. things of that nature. I just wanted what you had and I would actually wear your stuff. Like if, just if I happened, to, I, I was so bold that I, I didn't care if you see me after the fact. Mm-hmm. You know, I would wear your, whether it's your jewelry, whether it's your polo goose or whatever the case may be, I would wear it around and it is what it is. Um, then I started getting into the, the, the whole, you know, the whole thing that you hear beef. Mm-hmm. And everybody at the time was uh, getting their little money, whether selling drugs or, or robbing or, 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 or um, robbing people or robbing stores. But everybody at that particular time was like, like I would say like maybe 87 or, or 86, 87 around the time, people was, started saving their money at buying guns. So that became a thing. If you didn't have a gun at the time, mm-hmm. you, 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 you was in trouble. So me and uh, me and a lot of my friends, we used to, you know, we started saving our money and we was buying guns because we we had refused to say we're not going to be the victims where people are going to come and, and rob us and do what they want to yeah. do. And the gun is a false sense of power. I realized that firsthand because the first time I had a gun in my hand, well, I actually was ten years old the first time I had a gun. Mm-hmm. The older guys I told you I hung around. Yeah, you know they the first gun I ever. Ever shot was a shotgun. One of one of the guys actually had to hold me from behind so that the the, the impact won't blow me back. So, so that, they were actually coaching y'all in they the was streets. Coaching me. So the difference, I like somebody, like I don't. We didn't have no mentors like that back in the days. Everybody, the older guys who we consider OGs, they were promoting the negativity. Mm-hmm. If you yo, let me get five dollars. Let me get times. They would give it to you, but then. They'd be like, I'm going to show you how to get your own money and give you a pack of crack or something like that mm-hmm. and have you make your own money or put a gun in your hand and, and, and teach you how to rob and do things like that. So they kind of gave me the blueprint, mm-hmm. you know, and like a lot of my friends that what I learned from the older guys, I showed some of my my, uh, my uh, immediate peers mm-hmm. the game. And then we went on from there and um, it was just like, Crime city after that. So it's like it was mentorship, but a negative mentorship, right? It's like they were teaching you how to get by, but obviously not the right way. I mean, me being who I am now, a grown man and understand certain things, it was actually they were setting us up to go to prison or be killed. Mm -hmm. You know that that saying, death or incarceration? Mm -hmm. They were actually setting us up for that, but we had no idea. Because it's like... They, they could sit back and watch a movie, get their popcorn and watch the movie. Mm-hmm. And we were the actors, but we had no idea. And it's interesting you're, you're talking about that because it's, in my mind, I'm thinking about this idea of, you know, the school to prison pipeline, right? But it seems like there was this, maybe there was the school to prison pipeline, but there was the real, the real like community <laughs> to prison pipeline, mm-hmm. right? Where you had these OGs that were actually creating the pipeline for you to either go to prison or to, mm-hmm. you know, be six feet under. Yeah. So that's why growing up so many of my friends and everything that I know died at young ages and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Because we, all we knew was the streets and we all knew what it entailed. It's like most of the, 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 the young people nowadays, they really don't understand the consequences like that. Mm-hmm. All of us, like me and my people, we knew. Because we used to, when we, whenever we would go outside and everything, we all used to have razors and stuff like that in our shoe. Mm-hmm. 
like, cause we, we knew that every time we come out the house, there's a possibility that we can get arrested. Mm -hmm. So what happens that once we get arrested, we have razors in our, in our sneaker so that if we happen to go to Rikers Island or something like that, we're prepared mm -hmm. or, you know, um, we would have them like, you know, they call it, you ever heard of cheeked? Mm -mm. So that's like having, um, razors in between your, 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 your butt cheeks. Okay. So that, that, that was survival. We actually walked around like that in preparation that we know what we're doing. We know the cops know us because mm -hmm. I got to a point in time where the cops knew us by name. So if let's say if somebody get robbed, right? Mm -hmm. Sadly, my, my picture would be shown. Hmm. It got to that point. So like, you know, the, the usual suspects. Yeah. So, and this is from people that were victims of robbery. Yo, you know, yo, I got robbed and um, all different ages. Mm -hmm. And the police showed me your picture. They asked me if it was you. Hmm. But I seen, hey, 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 I'm joking, laughing. Like, it's funny. But in all reality, like, you know, it's it's not a joke. And a lot of these young kids nowadays, they don't realize that the police know more than they more than you think they know. Mm -hmm. And you it's know? interesting because that's you know, when we're talking about um wrongful, you know, pickups, right? Wrongful yeah. convictions, wrongful prosecutions, that's something that I mean that for me I'm thinking if they show me a picture of you and I just want somebody to go down for what they did, there you go now. I'm like, Yeah, that's him. And that's how you end up, you know, at Rikers Island. That's how you end up convicted for a crime that you didn't commit. Well, it had got so bad to a point where there was a time I was down in um, down South Myrtle Beach. Mm -hmm. And, you know, chilling, having a good time out there, whatever. Young, young guy or whatever. And I think I was probably like 16 or something like that. And the detectives went to um, my mother's house. And they were saying that... Um, that I, they looking for me because I robbed somebody. And my mother said, when? And they, whatever they said, my mother told them that they, they're liars because he's not even in New York. But it go to show you how bad it mm -hmm. got. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, it's easy. Once you're known to be do, to do certain things, it's easy to, to, to present that to the court. Yep. So when they bring it to the grand jury and everything, the grand jury looks at you. Yeah, this is, yeah he did it. Mm -hmm. You know, look at your, your record. Look at his track. Look yeah. at his track record. Yeah. And even if he didn't do this one, we're going to get him for something yeah. else. So they don't stop or whatever case may be when they know who you are. Mm -hmm. So you start building unnecessary energy for yourself. Like you really don't want them people on you like that. Mm -hmm. And that's something that the youth don't understand nowadays. You know, we really like years ago. You know, we used to laugh at that stuff. Like when the police come and lock us up, he he, we thought it was funny. Mm -hmm. You know, this is why a lot of my friends did juvenile bids and everything. Like as kids, mm -hmm. 12, 13 year olds, stuff like that. And graduate from the juvenile to Rikers to actually doing, uh, going to adult prisons. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? So it was like, now you look at it, you just hope that at some point the cycle change. Because they all, up there, you know, that's all they have is prisons upstate New York. Mm -hmm. They have nothing else. That's what generates all the income yep. for all the uh, for, the, for the, uh, the people in society out there. So they're welcoming you to come in. Even when you hear, like, the close the Rikers thing, right? Mm -hmm. It's a good thing, but they're just going to move them into smaller jails. Yeah. So people need to wake up and don't think that 
Right, because it's closed and that means that they're just letting people out. Yeah. No, they're not just letting people out. Because I, I think that people fail to realize that, like you said, prisons, jails, it's big business. Like there's so many documentaries now, like on Netflix and other places where they talk about how jails, like it's big money business, mm-hmm. right? And so I think a lot of people are caught up into this, let's shut down Rikers Island. And they have this idea that, you know, we're going to shut down the prisons and we're going to do like some sort of like, you know, rehabilitative, um, you know, I don't know, community, uh, you know, I don't know, community centers um, mm-hmm. for people who commit crimes. But that's not what's going to happen. We're just going to have a jail in, in in our backyard. Right. Each borough, I think, is supposed yeah. to have like a small, something like that, small jail. And it doesn't really change what's going on. It just it's the same cycle. Nothing is really changing. So I think that, you know, a lot of things that you're saying with respect to the youth, I feel like, you know, there aren't enough people really breaking it down like that because I'm sitting here listening to you and I'm just like, when I think about the kids of today, consequences are not part of the vocabulary at all. They don't think about the consequences, even protection wise, like they just don't know the game. That's what it is. I don't think they know the game because no one's really taught them. They just kind of, you know, they're, they're watching from the sidelines or they're trying to create it themselves. And I think that that's where a lot of them get into serious trouble because they, they, they do not have a blueprint. Like how you talked about, you got a blueprint from the old G's. Right. And so even though you did what you did, you still understood what some of the consequences are. You still knew how to leave your house. You still knew how to do this, do that. So it's like they're wanting to be these gangsters, but they are still very, very innocent in which, you know, things that are cold that they don't even know. Right. Like if they pick you up, keep your mouth shut, whether you have a lawyer or not. Don't implicate yourself. Don't this little things like that. Um, You see that they don't even know like basics. Right. I think that that's where that's why a lot of them are so lost. I mean, I know that you're you know, you're a youth counselor. You're out here. you're, You're talking to the youth. Um. What do you find to be like the biggest challenge in trying to reach them? Like, I mean, how how are your interactions with the youth when you're trying to really school them? I mean, when I I really don't really have like that many problems when it's coming mm-hmm. out and connecting them. You you have some that they believe that they that gangster. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? And my whole thing is like, okay, if that's who you are, who you say you are, whatever, just have that same energy. With those people. Mm-hmm. When they run down on you and everything, you know, because you was doing this and doing that, don't all of a sudden now, once you get caught up now, now you want to put your tail between your legs. Mm-hmm. And then you want to tell on everybody in your neighborhood. See what I'm saying? Yeah. So keep that same energy. Mm-hmm. That's my whole thing. You see, but um, for the most part, I, I vibe with the youth. I don't talk to them or at them. I have a conversation with them and let them know that, you know, I'm willing to hear them out too. Mm -hmm. Because honestly, I learned a lot from them. The youth have taught me so much stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, when you get to a point where you're humble enough to know that the youth can teach you Mm -hmm. or you can learn from anybody and they see that, they'll open up more. Okay. So that's the whole thing. When you start realizing that, you can have a reasoning with them and you're not trying to like be a preacher mm-hmm. because that they don't like that. So that's where the issue is, is yeah. that a lot of people are preaching at yeah. them yeah. as opposed to really speaking with them. Yeah. 
okay. holding a vibe, a conversation, and just kicking it with them. And maybe you could find the underlying issues. And you, you're actually coming to the table with some solutions. Where maybe some one of them, you find out that this guy, he wants to, or this young lady wants to do OSHA. So you you have some connections. You're like, listen, give me your number. I know somebody that can get you that OSHA, that OSHA 30 that you want. So if you don't have the solution, then just be quiet. Mm. That's that's just real talk. Yeah. Because they done, a lot of them done heard a lot of stuff already. What what do you what can you offer to so that I can stop doing what I'm doing? That's a really important point. I find that it's true. A lot of people are so willing to speak, but they don't actually have a solution. They don't, or they're not even willing to open up themselves to say, "Okay, I want I want you to stop doing this. Here's what I can do for you." So maybe they don't have a connection, but they're like, "I'll put you up, or I'll do this. I'll give you money to start this business, or I'll give you money to start, you know, this, or I'll." So people are not really giving. They're really more so wanting to like they want to speak, they want to give their opinion, they want to give their advice, but at the end of the day, that's all it is, just talk. There's no real action. And I think the youth are very privy to that. And I think that's why some of them are just like, we don't even want to hear you because we know you can't do nothing for us. Exactly. So now you are a alternative to incarceration coach, right? Yeah. Life coach. So how did you get into that? I mean, me coming home from doing a long bid, right? Mm-hmm. In, up, upstate in prison or whatever. Um, I had made up my mind already when I was in prison that this is it for me. I'm not doing this no more. Mm-hmm. This can't, this is not my life. This is not where I'm going to be. You know, enough is enough. Um, and I decided, I used to work for, I used to, one of my programs I was a part of was, was, was a YAP program in there. That's, it stands for youth, youth assistant program. Mm-hmm. And, a good a good friend of mine, well I'll say he's my brother, like older brother, and a brethren of mine, his name is Lamumba, right? And um he's back in Barbados now, he got deported. He's somebody who changed the concept. Cause at first it was like more like geared towards straw uh, scared straight. Mm-hmm. So kids would come in the prison. Mm-hmm. He was like, nah, man, that it don't that that it don't work. So he changed it and said, we're going to start reasoning with the youth, having conversations, really getting to know them and really get to know what's going on with them, their thinking patterns and, and, and things like that. So once we adapted to that, we started seeing results, mm-hmm. right? So like we, I've had, when I was in there and I was doing it, I had um, kids, kids' parents writing letters to me saying, they they seen changes with their kids and everything, and their kids are not stealing from them no more. The kids are not burning down mm. stuff in the house and throwing chairs in the classroom and all that. All type of letters that I got from parents and, and guardians and um, letters from the kids themselves, you know, thanking me for being a part of their life, thanking some of my other brethren for being their life. Um, so that was like a um. It ignited the fire, mm-hmm. and I, that's when I made up my mind that this is what I what I want to do. So once I came home, I was I, I had volunteered. I wasn't even getting paid mm-hmm. for um. This, they had a they had a program called Brownsville Partnership, 
right? It was over there on a 444 timers boiling mm-hmm. some years ago or whatever. And once I started doing that and everything, I just kept on going. You know, I just never stopped doing it, um, whether it's in the street or whether it's for organizations, whether it's speaking in schools, going to crossroads, all these different places. Mm-hmm. I just said, you know what? This is my way of giving back because I destroyed, I was part of destroying the community, mm-hmm. doing all the different negativity, the crime and doing all, that was that was wrong. So how do I, uh, how do I right that wrong? Mm-hmm. By giving back and coming coming back and like, you ever heard when you build something, when you destroy something, you got to come now and try to rebuild. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? So that's what happened with me and, I, and I've been just going hard with it ever since then. Mm-hmm. And you know, you know, just from speaking to you and just knowing you for for the for the time that I've known you, I definitely see that passion, you know, to help the young people because you know, there's two groups I feel like that are neglected in society. It's the elderly and it's the young. I always like the older people because I grew up, you know, with my grandmother and I mm-hmm. grew up under the mouths of old people. So I always had an affinity for them. But I also, you know, recognize the importance of really steering the youth because a lot of people think that, I mean, from the outside looking in, sometimes people think that, oh, there's all these role models. There's all these organizations. There's all these people that are in these communities helping these kids. So they're good, right? But they're actually not because people, you know, when you really look in, you might see two family two family houses, right? But like you had mentioned, you know, your mm-hmm. father, like it was a financial support, but there's an emotional yeah, yeah. support. And that's, that emotional part is more important than the financial, right? Because it's that emotional part of that kid that, has them seeking out these other, you know, whether it be the gang life or whether it be this, whatever could, you know, I guess allow acceptance for them, right? So I think having um, strong people in the community who, who've been there, done that. So it's not like when you're speaking to the kids, it's not like you don't know what you're talking about, right? You're exactly. coming from a place of understanding. Yeah, I, you know, and I've come to that understanding that I don't, I learn not to speak if I don't know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about. You know, because that's what's going on a lot of time. We have social media and things of that nature. So everybody ha- feel like they have a voice. They're an expert. I'm cool <laughs> with people speaking, but stick to what you know. Yeah. Stay to your lane. You see what I'm saying? Stay yeah. in your lane. It's real simple or whatever case may be. If I don't know something, I'm not going to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you got you to gotta look at a lot of young people, you know, that went to prison, went to jail at a young age, and then they spit you back. They See, I have a thing that I, that, that I always say, that the system want your youth. They want to steal your youth from you, mm-hmm. and they spit you back out. Let us say they, they say they take you when you in your teens. They, 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 they spit you back out when now, when you're in your 30s and your 40s now. Mm-hmm. You don't know what the hell going on. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Like me, for example, when I, when I went in, when I went in, I had a beeper. <laughs> I remember that right. I was young, but I right. remember beepers. I went in and had a beeper, and when I came home, you know, cell phones and apples and all this other, all these other products, right? So I knew that I had to get in tune quick mm-hmm. because technology is taking over, right? Let's factor in also that you have some individuals that, let's say, let's say you born in uh, Barbados, Guyana, mm-hmm. Jamaica, Trinidad, Haiti, or whatever. And you don't know nothing about Haiti or whatever because you, le- you you left Haiti when you was two, three years old mm-hmm. and you get deported to Haiti, right? 
you know nothing about Haiti. You know nothing about Jamaica, Barbados, and all these other places. You have to adapt now. The family that you have there, they don't know you. They're going to view you as you're a criminal. Yep. I don't want you here. So this is what's going on. But again, when we backtrack to what I was talking about, the consequence mm -hmm. of understanding, but that's the the system came up with that way. You know, we getting rid of them now. They don't care about if you if you came here when you were two or three. If you're not documented, you're going back. How you survive in that country, they looking at it, that's your problem. Yeah. And that's a huge consequence that people don't think about, right? So in the work that you're doing with the youth and even with the adults, right, that are coming that are coming mm -hmm. out, like I guess how do you articulate the consequences, right? Like how do you how do you build that into the conversation? Because that seems to be a large part when you're talking to the, to the youth as to what consequences are, like what the consequences of their action are. If they do X, this is what's going to happen. How do you build that into your conversations? Um, what, I, what I do is um, I, I, I let them know that I give them a piece of my experience because mm -hmm. sometimes some people may do like maybe a year or whatever. So that's really like a slap on the wrist. They haven't learned anything yet. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? Or, they didn't go through, or or I, I throw things out there like, um, when you go, whenever you went on, I'd say, whenever you, when, when you were locked up and you went on a visit, what happened after? Mm -hmm. Like when you, visit's over, they said, that's it, the visit's over and you went back, what happened? They said, oh, um, the, the, the police stripped me. You know, I said, no, I, I strip you how? Give me, explain, I know mm -hmm. the answer. Oh, I had to take everything off, be butt naked. You know, uh, uh, lift up my genitals and mm -hmm. bend over, squat, spread. How does that feel? Mm -hmm. Isn't that like because at, at the end of the day, you, that's if you look at the look at it from the outside, that's a form of molestation, right? They demeaning you. And then if they say if they feel like they want to be funny and, and be in a joking mood, oh, bend over again. I didn't see nothing. Just to mess with your mental. Mm -hmm. So I bring these real reality things to the table mm -hmm. so that they can really think about it. Is that what you want for the rest of your life? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. What about your family? When you, who was there for you? Oh, you know, one of my girls, she left me. She didn't want to uh, come visit me no more. Her letters stopped. All I had was my mother. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So when I start bringing these realities, it get them to open up and say, yo, man, I need to, I need to do something else. Because mm -hmm. reality is always going to win at the end of the day. Yeah. You can't beat reality. Yeah. So I'm, I'm reality based. So when I bring forth reality, there's no myths in what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. They're going to automatically relate. And even when the, those who haven't gone to prison or jail, because you may have some that may have caught this misdemeanor charges. They don't know what it's like or whatever. I also show videos. I put videos on the screen. Um, maybe, let's say, for example, I'll show like Khalif Broder, for example, mm -hmm. the documentary, yeah. whatever case it be, so they can see what he went through. And that was a tough documentary to saying? get through, yeah. So don't think that that's not still going on in there. You know what I mean? He he, What he did was open the floodgates so that we can, so that the people can know What's going on mm -hmm. out here? You know, look at the suffering that he caught, that that he went through. So when I show that and people, man, he that that really happened. 
Because even adults out here couldn't believe it when they saw the documentary. Yeah. So people don't know what's going on in the jail. They don't know what's going yeah. on in prison. Unless you have somebody who's on the inside that you know is going through, you know, what they're going through. I would say the majority of society has no idea what actually takes place behind closed doors. And I think that's the problem. That's why we're not as sensitive. Right. And I know that I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, you know, your work again as an alternative to incarceration coach. And so when these individuals come out, right, mm -hmm. of prison or of jail, what like what does that really look like? Because, again, we're in a society where we, yeah. we don't know what's going on. And so when they come out, we're just like these criminals, yeah. <laughs> you know, we don't we don't respect them. We don't give them rights. We think that they're bums and we expect them to go back to prison. Yeah, it's not easy because at the end of the day, especially, especially if you was in there and like, let's say you, you didn't finish school mm -hmm. when you were out. You went in and they offered, the, for, you know, for you to have opportunity to go finish up and get your diploma or whatever. And you still want to run around and play around. And then you come home with no diploma. You set yourself up because mm -hmm. you, can't, you can't even get a McDonald's job yep. without that right now. So if you don't have a the, the GED, what's they call they call it HSC now. Okay. Right? Um, if you don't have that, then you can forget about it. Because there's no place that's gonna hire you. So you ever heard uh uh the drop the box? No. That's like what well, people don't even know what drop the box is. It's like they can't they can't um they can't hold you responsible for the, for your crime no more okay. when you're going for a job. If it's not like a government or job mm -hmm. or something like that, any other job, they're not, they're not supposed to ask you about I that. see what you mean, yeah. I don't know if we called it drop the box um, in my industry because I used to do HR, but they yeah. can't ask you about like these prior convictions or anything like yeah. that. They can't, even when you they do a background uh, check for you, yeah. if it's not really tangential or to whatever it is that you're doing, yeah. they can't, they can see it, yeah. but they can't really probe. So people fought for that and, you know, they can't do that now. So, it's a little better now, mm -hmm. but at the same time, while you were away, if you didn't like utilize your time away, and because you know, in prison you have different programs mm -hmm. and train and and um and and trainings and everything that you can get, mm -hmm. right? So if you come home with these credentials now, now you can you, you could put yourself in a position mm -hmm. to get a job, but if you don't have none of that. You can't get the job or whatever mm -hmm. case be. Some people come home and like it's easy to come home with with that thought of people owing you something. Yeah. Like you feel like cause you was in the streets and you was doing your thing and I'm this person, I'm that person, you start feeling like people owe you. And nobody owe you nothing, man. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. The only person that owe you is you. You owe yourself the 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 the, the opportunity to see what's out there, right? And and go and grab it. Because nobody's going to really, after, I call it the 90-day grace period. Like, people, when you happy you home for 90 days, right? Where people stop by, maybe give you a little money in your hair, mm -hmm. take you shopping, things of that nature. That's, that's only for 90 days. After the 90 days, that's, it, it stops. Mm -hmm. The people calling you, yo, you need something, all of that stops. So you're on your own after the 90 days. That means that you're going to, you should be, um, you should... The first thing that people do is, or should do, is go get your ID. Because if you don't get your ID, you're walking around with a prison ID. Did you know that? No. Yeah. 
They give you an ID, uh, ID before you leave there. And if you're not responsible enough, say, let me go to DMV and get my state ID or whatever, that's the ID you're going to walk around with. You have some people that's not responsible enough to go down to DMV. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So if you were doing anger management and stuff like that in there, uh, uh, and and different programs, like drug programs mm-hmm. or whatever, parole is going to make you do it out here too. But even though you have it in black and white, or oh, I completed this anger management, I completed this drug program, whatever, they still want you to do it anyway out here. You know why? It's a numbers game. It's a numbers game, and it's also they can monitor you now mm-hmm. because they want they don't really want you with too much leisure time. Even some people out here don't know what a, what what is a what you as far as you know what is a PO's job. I mean, <laughs> from what I I mean from what I understand when I was working um, at the, the DA's office, I mean they're there to really like keep tabs. That ain't their job. Their job is to help you reintegrate in society. And I would never believe that. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. People don't know that that's their real job. Yeah. Their Dude. job is not hounding you down, knocking on your door, chasing you down. And their job is to help you integrate in society so that you don't become a recidivist. Do they know that? <laughs> because that I think the reason people don't know that is because when we think about parole, you know, and probation officers or whatever, yeah. like we 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 see them as people who are, are here to check up and to catch us actually, right? To, to, to actually, they want to catch you doing something wrong so that they can send you back. That's that's what yeah, but, I think and, of and, and I'm like, again, when I said I don't speak unless I know, I've sat down with branch chiefs and and directly asked them like what what, what they're supposed to be doing or mm-hmm. whatever. What, do, what, what appeals will be doing? And the answer I gave you is what I got. So if somebody get violated on... Um, Mm-hmm. On, on parole and all that They don't get a pat on their back From their, their supervisor for that you, Something you ain't doing right Why is this person not getting it But the outside The outsiders don't know that No They don't hold uh, um, The POs And all these people That supervise it And they don't hold them accountable Because they don't know the role You know because That's like Me I was on um, I was on parole Right mm-hmm. And um do you know that you have to pay? Like you have to pay a fee? So you got look at, this is another thing we talk about, the youth not understanding consequences, mm-hmm. right? When you go, like after, I'm sure you know this because you were working in the courts. When you have your, your, your case and everything, the surcharge. Mm-hmm. So when you get upstate, wherever you're going on, you got to pay the surcharge, right? Mm-hmm. So if your family send you $100 in a, like a money order, whatever, mm-hmm. they're taking 50 for, and it's for the surcharge. They will keep taking money. Let's say your family don't send you no money, but you're doing a program or whatever, and they're giving you some money or whatever. They're going to take a piece of that until that surcharge is completed, right? So I look at it as like you, that's rent. Like you're paying to stay <laughs> in, in, in jail, in prison. Then when you come home, parole, you have to pay a In New York State, you have to pay them. You have to pay a parole fee. So and what happens when you don't pay the parole fee? Some for for the most part, some people they keep on parole longer. Like I was paying, I, I was paying my my fee, but then I'm like, yo man, I don't even know why I'm paying this, bro. Like I talked to one of my friends or whatever, and he's like, yo, why am I paying this, man? He was like, yo, you see how when you be when you want to like hang out a little longer than past your curfew, and 
you call your PO, let your PO know that you know you want to you asking for permission to stay out past curfew. I say, yeah. He said, yo, you gotta pay to play. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So after that, I said, oh, okay. I just continue to pay, but by me paying, right? And doing what I have to do, giving them pay stubs. So when I'm giving you pay stubs, you know exactly what I'm doing. Yeah. I'm proving. I'm giving you a letter from my my supervisor, all that. You know what I'm doing. So by me doing those things, they would they never mess with me. Because you already you, you know, you see what I'm making, right? You see what I'm doing. And I'm paying, right? Mm-hmm. So they 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 ended up sending my uh all my stuff to Albany. Albany told them to release me off parole. So I got off early because they, they Albany seen there's no reason to keep me on parole any longer because I'm out here doing what I need to do. I reintegrated back in society. I'm amongst the civilians doing my civilian duties. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? But that's not everybody's story. But that's but I think that's where you come in, right? To that's help where because. I come in at. Cause I mean, a lot of these things that you were saying, I'm just like, really? Yeah. Like I don't even, I don't even know. And I was working in the system, yeah. so I think that you know, having people like you assisting people in reintegration, because where are you going to learn this? You know, how are you going to really know to do these things, right? To be, mm-hmm. to be, you know, an accountable citizen, especially if you went in as a child. You don't, yeah. you don't even know like what responsibility actually is. I mean, I think you know that. That example you gave of the prison ID, a lot, you know, not going to get a regular ID from the DMV is something that most people would be like, why don't you know, why don't you do that? But you don't know to do that, right? Because you probably never had a state ID when you went in. So I think that that work right there, the reintegration, because we hear a lot about alternative to incarceration programs but people don't really understand they just think that okay there's just somebody you know somebody just got out and then you got you know some counselor dude who's just you know talking to them making sure they don't go back in um it's more it's more more to like it's my job to help you like let's let's say what we talked about like the po mm -hmm. like i'll be doing that i do what they supposed to do Mm -hmm. like that okay like help you reintegrate or help you not let's say somebody who didn't do a bit or whatever. I help you not become a recidivist. Mm-hmm. You don't have an ID. I'm going to help. I know the point system. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Like, let's say, for example, if someone is like under 21 or whatever, like people don't know that your parent or guardian, I mean, you know how many points you need for ID, right? Six. So if you're under 21, your parent or guardian is automatically four points, right? Mm-hmm. So then you just got to get the, 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 the other two, and that's that's a state ID right there. You see what I'm saying? So just knowing all these things off the top, like, mm-hmm. now I can help you get ID, and I know, like, what what do, what you got? Oh, I have my social. Okay, that's two points. Um, I have my benefit card. Mm-hmm. Do I have a picture or, or not? The picture, with the picture, is two points. Without the picture, is one point. So I know these things. Mm-hmm. So- I can know what you need or whatever. All right, so um, I'm going to speak to my supervisor. We're going to give you the money so that you go to DMV now to get your um, ID Mm -hmm. because you do have your six points now. And that's critical because I think that that's what, you know, not having this information and then being frustrated in the process of when you're trying to go at it alone and, you know, you realize that, oh, I don't have this, I don't have that, and I don't know how to get this. I, I feel like that's what leads to recidivism a lot of times where people are like, 
it's hard out here. You know, it, it was easier in there. You know, I was caged up, but at least, you know, I got a meal. I had a bed. Yeah. Like, I didn't have to, to, to worry about all these things. And then that's how people end up back in jail not or back in prison. Not because they're they're still wanting to do criminal activity, but they're like, life is hard out here. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's going on out here. I'd rather be back in there. And that's, I think, is a real thing that a lot of people in society fail to realize that, you know, when you have somebody who's done a lot of time, and they come out to a cold world where people are not trying to mess with them, deal with them or help them. You know, it's very easy for people to just go back to what they're familiar with, even if that is being locked up again. Because we all know that. Well, not everybody know. But if you get stopped by the police and they, one of the things they ask you for is what? Well, they ask you for ID. And if you don't bring it, if you don't have an ID, that's probable cause to bring you mm-hmm. in. And then they run you. They could bring you in, actually come with us and bring to the precinct for because for all they know, you're wanted. So they, they they could bring you in. So how do like again I told you like solution based. So help you get an ID now. So that that won't so now you when you pull it out, they do punch you and you have no warrants, you have nothing to worry about or whatever case may be. But you do have the ID now. So to avoid that shit. Yep. And that's something that's so it seems so minor. But it's so major because a lot of people are walking around with no type of ID at all, like at all, at all. And that is a sure way to get pulled over. As we speak. So they're like, yeah, DMV is open, right? You, you, people refuse to go online to set up the appointment. Oh, I don't feel like waiting on no line. And then you really don't care, man. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So then you want to call me. Oh, you know, what could I do? Um, I'm having this issue. I told you already. So now you want to call me again and ask me about what should you do? I told you what to do. Mm-hmm. These are certain steps, part of working with the youth and all that, because I was once a, a, a troubled youth, at-risk youth, all these different things. So I, I, I know what's going on. So we can't like, you know, we're all vessels, so to speak. Mm-hmm. God use us in whatever ways that he see fit. So, I'm one of the people that I want to just try to help and save as many youth as, as possible. Mm-hmm. And um, But the sad reality is that there's, there's always casualties in war. You know, everybody's not going to listen. Everybody's not going to make it. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like with all the gun violence that, that's going on right now in the community, throughout Brooklyn, Bronx, wherever you want to call it or whatever, and our in Flatbush or whatever case may be, you know, this is what happens. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. The guns and this, this, this will, this, this ain't change. This continues to happen. You saying, yo, why is all this happening? And it's gonna take some of the people, some of the shooters, for example. Mm-hmm. They gonna, they gonna see it years later. Yeah, that they didn't even, never even have to shoot the gun. That the quote unquote beat wasn't even worth it. And that's the sad part, though, is that it's years later, years later. when there's been so many casualties, so many. Yeah. So many dead that they'll go back and think about that. So I guess, you know, my question to you is, you know, as, as we're talking about solutions, right? Um, I mean, what are some ideas to kind of combat what's going on now, right? I mean, gun violence is no stranger to communities, mm-hmm. but we're seeing, you know, so much of it happening now. We're seeing so many youth, mm-hmm. um, you know, falling at the hands, right? You know, we're, the future's getting wiped out before it even starts. Like how, like what are some ideas um, 
to really get to the bottom of, you know, this gun violence issue? I mean, if you're looking around, like, just look at Instagram, for example, right? It, what, what, what do you see with the youth? You see flashing money, the jewelry, mm-hmm. the cars, and everything I told you about that when I was younger, that that I loved, right? That that gave me, like, man, I want that. I want to be like them dudes. Look mm-hmm. at them dudes, all the jewelry they shine. So now we're seeing it over and over again, mm-hmm. right? And they're flashing their money, right? So what I, what I see when I look at that is that if they had other ways, like let's say if they was offered jobs, because they ain't none of them really working, they're finding that they're getting that by, by other means. Yeah, scamming or whatever. Right? So they're, they're, it's not like these people are offering jobs that, that, that can pay these, these, these young people to keep them from doing the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. Right? Where You have them, they building in the community, right? They building all around the community, but they're not, they, they're not reaching out to the youth. They're not creating opportunities no, for them. No, there's no opportunities. They're building around the community, and they're benefiting. Mm-hmm. But the youth is like, well, y'all not trying to give me nothing, man. I got to get mine. Yeah. So until there's something where... They're sharing and saying that, you know, we are willing to hire and they're giving out uh, uh, um, some kind of salaries and things mm-hmm. like that. If you, let's say this, you know, people want to apply for, there's plenty of people I know that's doing wrong. Mm-hmm. Young young guys, you, they, they want to work. Yeah. But the opportunities though. And it's the kind of opportunities too, right? Because, I mean, if they're used to, you know, getting cars, flashy, you know, Mm-hmm. Jesus pieces and all this other yeah. stuff, but you want to offer them a you know five dollar an hour job, nah, nah. they're gonna be like, nah, I'm good. You ever heard of core craft? No. So I do a PowerPoint right with uh with with, with individuals. So core craft is a uh, it's an industry that's ran in prison. Okay. And this right here. Core craft, uh, how they made this. Okay, so I know the concept. Right. A lot of the stuff is being made in prisons. You see, like these, let's say these big buildings you see there, mm-hmm. the offices, the, the the chairs and everything. Core yep. craft makes them. So who who are the workers for core craft? It's the prisoners. The prisoners, and they're not really they're not getting nothing not from getting what nothing. I hear. You're getting seventeen to probably twenty five cent an hour. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Five days a week. But that's that part of that big business as to why they want to keep the prisons full because they're getting slave labor. From the but prisoners. that's why prison is modern day slavery. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm yeah. saying? So this is the, the the whole thing that I'm saying. They're not they, they, the opportunity is not there. They're not ten dollars an hour like to do all this work. You're not even trying to. Mm-hmm. But you making millions though, and I can't get. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it makes the you saying. I'm making more, more, more than that on the block. So when they weigh their options now, right? Mm-hmm. They're like, "Nah, I'd rather be on the block getting the money. I'm not. I ain't doing that." Yeah. And to be honest, it makes sense. It makes sense. So that's the issue we're dealing with. We're dealing with individuals who would like to make more money so that they could feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like to go and buy, like. Cause a lot of the clothes now, the sneak. Cause people are into designer wear, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's belts, um, 
you got the, the you ever heard of unmarried jeans and all mm-hmm. that? Costing over a thousand dollars and all that. So if everybody's together right here and you don't have it, you know, mm-hmm. you're gonna say, nah, I gotta find a way to get that. Everybody around me gotta So you're gonna whatever it takes. Yeah. Or you say, Man, I've been trying to do the right thing. It's not working for me. Because no, it seems like every time the door's just closing mm-hmm. your face. We have, like, let's say Flatbush, for example. When you go down, let's say you go from Notion and Clarendon, right? Mm-hmm. All the way to the junction, Flatbush and, and, and Notion. How many black-owned um, stores and stuff like that you, you come across? Besides, like, a little corner. Yeah, the little sneaker store. (laughs) Like a little small corner that they'll give you to maybe sell your little items or Mm -hmm. whatever. What else is there that that, that, that blacks own that can possibly give our opportunities to to youth or whatever? Because the stores that are already there that are black owned are struggling in and of themselves. That's what I'm saying. With the rent, Mm -hmm. right? Because rent went up, right? Yeah. So everything that they're selling is literally to just make ends meet. So they already don't have money to do anything else for themselves. I guess the the bigger question then is, if we can't rely on the man, right, to create these opportunities, because they're building around us, like you said, multi-million dollar buildings, homes, whatever. Mm -hmm. They're not sharing that wealth because they're keeping it amongst themselves. How then do we create these opportunities for the youth in the community? These money making I mean, opportunities. We we have to like create um because I don't see that there's there's plenty of programs and all that other stuff, but they're not really doing much. But they're right? not to me, they're not I'm big on you create a program, right? But then the youth that's being serviced should be at some point be able to get to a point where they become employees. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So that that whole idea of like that volunteer thing, at some point there has to be a graduation from intern or volunteer. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. And then others hear about it. Mm-hmm. Man, I need to be a part of that. And they come in and they they fought, they the steps from from a client or whatever, a participant to internship mm-hmm. to, to full time, I mean? yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Because it will people will hear about it. Yeah. Like yo, I'm damn. I, yo, you working there now? Like, damn, I, yo, yo, how you get that car? Yo, man, I'm working. I, you know, I'm work for the. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Damn, so like, yo, look at yo, you dressed up and everything because you know we gonna. I don't know if you know. You ever heard of Kevin Livingston? No. He got the 100 suits. Okay. Yes. You ever heard <laughs> yeah. of him? Like I know him. Yeah. Right. We used to work together. Okay. He just got something opening in Brooklyn now mm-hmm. where if you know some young men or whatever, they need the suits mm-hmm. and tie and everything, Kevin will hook them up or whatever mm-hmm. case may be. Like, get them to understand, like, the difference in appearance. Okay. So if you dressed up and you, let's say you go on a train or whatever, mm-hmm. you dressed up, whatever, suit or, or slacks with a, with a dressy shirt button down. People gonna be comfortable, but then you come, you have a hoodie on or whatever. Mm-hmm. They're gonna look at you funny, right? And and have them know the difference, like showing like videos or something like that, mm-hmm. where they see how people react. Because we, we we the real teachers now, you know? Yeah, that's how I see it. We're we're the teachers now who we we have to take charge, and by giving by doing that, 
we'll be able to make some real noise. So this sounds like a multi, like faceted, um, like level of programming, right? Where, you know, you're, you're counseling them, you're, you're life coaching them, because I think that that's what's lacking in our community is that real life coach. I mean, for me, I've been hearing about life coaching over the last couple of years, right? Where everybody now is like, oh, I need a life coach. But you hear it more geared toward people who are already professionals, people who are just trying to get to that next level. You never hear people gearing life coaching. Yeah, to people from the hood, even to kids. Yeah, I'm saying. You know, getting them ready to like think about what life is supposed to be, what you're supposed to do. Um, Because I know we were talking offline about just a lot of us grew up in households where our parents did not have time to mm-hmm. talk about, you know, anything. And so we're just here, like, you know, we're not thinking about the future. We're not thinking about life. We're just kind of like living, you know, each and every day without any real plan. We don't know how to plan. So I think that there needs to be some sort of programming toward really sitting down with some of these youths. It's like, well, what do you want to do? Because some of them have never had an opportunity to share what they want to do in life, or even if it's far-fetched, right? But like humor them. You want to be an astronaut? Okay, why you want to be an astronaut? Like, you know what I yeah. mean? And and from there, like, okay, well, maybe not an astronaut, but maybe you like working with planes or aviation and like really just helping them think about like different things. Because I remember like there are a couple kids I used to work with and they used to be like, I never thought about that because they never had anybody sit down to flesh out ideas with them. And I think that what you're talking about, you know, this this life coaching, there has to be some sort of, programming that's brought in Mm -hmm. to the communities to really get people to think about their life. And then that's where you talk about the consequences, right? Mm -hmm. About certain things, certain decisions that they make. Um, But it sounds like a big community effort because now we're talking about grooming, you know, the difference between wearing a suit and wearing your hoodie, you know, reactions from the community. We're talking about creating opportunities, black businesses, finding ways to, I guess, increase their wealth, right? invest in each other so that we can now invest in the youth. Like that's a whole Mm -hmm. platform. So how do you see something like that being played out in, you know, in this, I mean, you know, in, in our community now, you know, like what would, what would it take in your opinion for something like this to get off the ground? I mean, uh, the powers that be gotta, uh, gotta give up that bread. (laughs) Who are the powers that be though? Cause that could be a lot of people. That's that's the uh the the government the city mm-hmm. so like some of the politicians, politicians elected officials like they, if we talking about cuz you 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 see the um Brooklyn borough president and all what's his name uh, Eric Adams, Adams yeah like he seems passionate about wanting to stop the gun violence and all this other stuff all right so let's 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 do this then mm-hmm. that's how i look at it let's let's do it. we 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 got the people you know what i mean mm-hmm. let us be a part of what we what, what you want to do and what we want to do is the same thing. Mm-hmm. When you hear him, right, he's adamant, mm-hmm. right, about this needs to stop, right? Okay, so how do we stop it? We have to have something that's going to stop it. There has to be a plan. Creating, because you have these different, um, what you call like uh, cure violence programs mm-hmm. and all that, and these different areas and all that. Our particular neighborhood in the Flatbush area the Vanderveer area or whatever, they don't have nothing going on right mm-hmm. now. You know, give us something and let us do the work. Yeah. Because if you give us that that uh, um 
that platform to do certain things, we 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 gonna do it because we got the right people. We know mm-hmm. we have real people that are respected enough to make our neighborhood safer, and that's a fact. So that's really what what was needed right now in our particular neighborhood right now. Thing, because I'm always gonna look at what we don't have. Yeah. And that's the way to think about it. That's you know the way saying? to look at it. And what's the problems and everything like that? You got individuals that we we, we stay abreast of what's going on. The, the, uh, uh, if something beefs and all this other stuff is going on and how can we get in between it and stop it before it happens or whatever the case may be. But we can't, we can do that. But let's say if we can offer them some incentives to, now we're talking. Because you don't want it to just be words, yo. Y'all need to just leave that alone or whatever. Dead that beef and whatever. But that's it. So people like Eric Adams, right? He professed these words. It needs to stop. The violence in the community needs to stop. All right, so let's get together and, and do something then. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm talking about. Because then we could go to the round table collectively and, and come up with solutions like ASAP. Yeah. So until that happens, because they they can't do it because they're not they're not on the ground they're level. Not, yeah, no. They hear about the things after the fact. When we used to have the community center and and um where they want to put the new one at mm-hmm. in two sixty nine, the yeah. whole foster park. When we there was never when I was growing up, even with the whole violence going on in the community, there, there was never a shooting or nothing like that in the community center. And mm-hmm. they, they, I'm talking about, and they didn't, and it was no security there mm-hmm. to like maybe stop something or whatever. But there was never a shooting in the community. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's a lot. It's a lot to talk about and a lot to to unpack. But it's also, I think, I mean, we talk about the powers that be, but it's getting their attention. I think that's really because I mean they they hear what's going on. They know what's they 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 kind of know what's going on, but they're not. I feel like a lot of them are not really in tune with the right individuals to make things happen. They you know yeah. I think that's where the problem is. Like they stick amongst themselves. They think that it's just by creating bills or you know laws or whatever, mm-hmm. but they're not really working hand in hand with the community, with grassroots organizations. They're not making contact with the people. Like, you know, some some areas, they're like, this is the mayor of this block. This is the mayor of this, you know, because that individual knows what's going on. Like, that's the go-to person if you want to know anything that's going on in a particular neighborhood. And they're not necessarily communicating with these individuals who are like, you know, the quote-unquote mayors of this particular neighborhood or the blocks. And I think... That's until until they're more receptive and more willing to actually work with ground level people. What you're saying is, you know, it's never really going to come to fruition. That's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. It's just the reality, you know, um, because um, give us that opportunity. man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, um, we, we, we know we know what to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that. They continuously keep putting money in the wrong people's hands. Yeah. People who might not really have an interest yeah. in actually saving the communities, right? They want right. to build, they want to do all this other stuff, but they're not really caring about the livelihoods of these children yeah. and these communities. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Want to make it happen and you know, do it the right way. Like somebody like Eric Adams yeah. who's saying that this is what he want to see and this is what he believe because... Let's make it where he don't, like, because he has to always come out 
when something happens, right? Mm-hmm. We wanted to be when he come out. He's coming out for some positive press. Yeah. That's what I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah, and not for the negative. Yeah. So that we don't just see the politicians when, like, in the aftermath, but we see them beforehand. They're part of the preventative solutions in the communities. You see how Bed-Stuy got the... What's his name? The the, uh, the councilman over there is it Quinnegie? Is he yeah, part of that? Okay, yeah, yeah so Robert Quinnegie. He he's he's in he's out there in the streets. Mm-hmm. Like they like they've been having festivals all day every day over there on Fulton by mm-hmm. where they have you know the Black Lives Matter yeah thing Restoration the Plaza. They've been having them out there. He's out there with them. We, we, we who who's the person for our neighborhood? And it's no knock to them, but. But more has Step to be up, done. Man. Yeah, more has to be done. Step up and reach out to the people so we can really like put the talking and everything to some real action. Yeah. Sounds like a lot. <laughs> it's always a lot when it comes to community building. Um yeah. and, the, and and the politics, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's the and that that's the problem. Yeah. There's the, there's a disconnect between politics and actual grassroots work. Mm-hmm. It should be more synergy between the two, but there's not. And I think that's what's killing, in my opinion, a lot of the communities is because, you know, with the elected officials and the politicians, that's where, you know, resources, you know, come from. Right. Um, So without resources, these communities aren't able to thrive. But I don't think that they're really tapping in to find out what actual resources are really needed and who the right people are to include in that conversation. Right. So I think, you know, just from this conversation, it just sounds like we need to figure out a way to create that synergy uh, between the elected officials, the politicians in the communities and these grassroots organizations and individuals who are looking to make the change. You know, not everybody's part of an organization, but they are doing things individually to, you know, be able to take back their blocks. Right. To improve their communities. Living in the community and, and not having certain things, you really have to beat the odds. Because you got so much against you, mm-hmm. you know. And if you have a record now, I'm big on don't let that, that don't let you have an, a, a criminal record. Don't let that put you in a, a, a pigeonhole making you think that that's it for you. You can't do nothing. You can do a whole lot. The sky is still the limit. You know, yeah. um, just for people that dis, that don't know, like even if you're on parole or whatever, you could vote. And a lot of people don't know that. A lot that. of people don't know that. They think, nah, I'm on parole. I can't vote. No, you. They, that changed. You got your rights back to vote. Mm-hmm. You know, so they need to do whatever it is they need to do on that level. Mm-hmm. Being that you had, you know, you have certain rights that you have, but some people don't know it. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like you get certain certificates. You ever heard of certificate? Of uh, relief and certificate of good behavior, mm-hmm. some some people don't know that they they're eligible. They can go down to the courts and get it. You see what I'm saying? And these are things that most people do not know. Like there's no, you know, unless you are fortunate enough to find somebody who's willing to even sit down. You know, because people are not patient. <laughs> we know mm-hmm. that. But to have somebody who's patient enough to sit down and walk you through all of these things to make sure that you're good, mm-hmm. then you're gonna be lost. And to have those things, right, those certificates can determine if you get certain jobs. Some people don't know that they have, like, 
you you need to get a copy if you've been locked up. Get your copy of your rap sheet. Something mm-hmm. it might not be correct. Yeah, and you can get that. You can get it fixed. Certain things expunged. Certain things can get. You know what I mean? All that stuff. Instead of just sitting around, just thinking that you're gonna open your mailbox and things are gonna be just in the mm-hmm. mailbox. No, you gotta do the footwork and yeah. go and get your stuff. And no. sometimes, you know, these individuals, it's it, it's a lack of motivation. I think sometimes because you know they've already been in. Now they're out here and they just it's it's that you know they're like, well, I mean, <laughs> what, what do I do? Freedom. Yeah. Sometimes people get blinded by just being free. Mm-hmm. And I'm happy that I'm home and all this other stuff. No, there's things that need to be done. You see what I'm saying? Like. Understanding that they still want your freedom. They're still waiting for you to mess up. They're still. So you can go back. Because there's all, you know, and then you have people that, let's say winter's coming up and it's going to be cold and stuff like that. And maybe people are going from couch to couch or different family homes, whatever. You have some people that when winter come, they, they go, they get locked up on purpose mm. because the yep. three hots in a cot. And that that's what we were talking about earlier, that, you know, you come out, there's no support or you could you can't find the support. And it's like, I'd rather be inside than be homeless on the street, looking through trash cans for food and trying to find like a warm corner, like near the train station or something. Right. And then also people have to realize that, you know, getting locked up and going in, that's that's easy. Right. It seems for, like for, it, yeah. for somebody to just get a case or mm-hmm. whatever. Easy. Right. Yeah. But to getting out of. Cause a case that can that that's a misdemeanor can sometimes go on for two years because they keep dragging the days mm-hmm. out or whatever. And then let's say you you're in now, right? And you're getting so stressed out or whatever. What's not being quote unquote spoken about that I'm like I said I'm gonna speak on facts only is that inside the system the medical doctors give false diagnosis. <laughs> And have you saying, yeah, you know, I'm going through this. Uh, so, yeah, you're schizo or you're what? Mm-hmm. They, they they giving you that so they can give you the medication. Mm-hmm. And now you went in fine. You're coming home. You're coming home twisted. Yep. You're not going to see that on, on Channel 7 mm-hmm. News. But that's what, yeah, 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 your nephew, cousin, brother, whoever, they're not coming home the same. Mm-hmm. Because some doctor told them that they had mental health issues. Mm-hmm. They did not have a mental health issue. Only thing they was dealing with was a little depression or a little stress that maybe they just needed to calm down a little bit. Mm-hmm. They didn't need medication. And now they're EDP in the streets. You see? Mm-hmm. So now you're, not, you, you're really chemically dependent now and you're walking around like a zombie. You might be, you went in fine, but then you come home and I'm going to see you right there on our own, on Nostrand by Tasted Tropics. <laughs> Picking up cigarette butts off the floor. Mm-hmm. What happened? Because they, you went to Rikers or you went somewhere mm-hmm. because you was fighting a case and 90 days later you came out like that. And people don't understand that either. When we see these individuals in the streets that are like wilding out, talking to themselves. This is what happened. Yeah. So I'm giving people some real real stuff right now. This is what happened. Mm-hmm. You know, they were, they were false diagnosed. Because the whole... Uh, 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 Medication game, I call it a medication game, mm-hmm. because it's it's the distress. It's also plaguing the black community. Yep. Yeah, man. Such and such. You seen such and such lady? Now nah, what happened? Yo, man, he bogged out. They did that to the person. Mm-hmm. Person was fine. Person just 
was having problems maybe adapting to that inside environment in jail or prison mm-hmm. and was just dealing with a little stress or whatever. So when they told him, yeah, from what we see now, you know, you're suffering from X, Y, and Z. What I'm going to prescribe you is with uh, methazine or, or therazine. Mm-hmm. Some type of psychotropic. And that's it for you. Because now when you come home, then you then, then what they're doing is then when you get around the wrong people in there, yo, man, you know that being that you on therazine now, mm-hmm. you can now go when you go home, file for that SSI. Mm. So then now that becomes a game. <laughs> So there's a lot of like there's a lot of moving parts and there's a lot of things that people not discussing. Yeah. And this is going on all over. So you wonder why somebody in your family like you saying what happened to them? Because I know people that been in 15, 20, 30 years, nothing's wrong with them. You know why? Because you can't give them that stuff. Mm-hmm. But how is it that this guy went in there only for a year or a one or three sentence, and he came out like that. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So you would figure that somebody that did 15, 20, 30 years, you would figure that this guy got a few screws missing, right? But that's not the case 80, 85% of the time. Because mm-hmm. you can talk to somebody right now that did a whole bunch. Watch how intelligent this person be as comparison to somebody that may have done a year. And the medication game is why. Yeah. And a lot of people don't think about how big pharma is playing playing out in the in the prison system. Yeah. Not talking about that. We're not talking about um, you know, that because you wasn't in touch with a family member that was incarcerated and you really don't know what was going on with them, but they were beat by the officers and all that, mm-hmm. stomped out by 15, 20 officers. Mm-hmm. Then when they go upstate, it's a whole different ball game. This is they let you know right away this is not Rikers Island. <laughs> We will we will murder you up here mm-hmm. because they're hillbillies, they're racist white people. They have some of them have tattoos on their arms with black babies hanging by nooses. They don't have it covered. They want you to see it mm-hmm. so that when whenever you're walking, you can see it so you know what you're dealing with. Yeah. I don't like black people. You see this on my arm. You see the devil on this arm over here. I'm just waiting for you to get out of line. When you walk in the hallway, don't look this way. We'll kill you. And then tell the family members, oh, he was uh, jumped and killed by uh, other prisoners. Mm -hmm. No, the officers did that. So this is why the push now is to get them to wear body cameras. That's what's going on right now. It's on the table. And I hope it goes through because there's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot that goes on behind closed doors. And unless, again, you have family members who are in, you'll never know. Like even, they don't even, they they need to highlight that some of the, the... Especially on Rikers, some of some of the, the COs on Rikers, some of them is Bloods and Crips. Hmm. Well, they're, a lot of them are bringing in the stuff. Right? What do you mean? That's what you're they not do. getting a big knife. <laughs> How you get exactly? Yeah, exactly. How are the drugs coming yeah. in? Don't say that. Oh, this guy, girl, is the one that's. This is too much drugs. So, how is all of this getting in? Mm-hmm. Even though there's been officers that. Um, that have been arrested for bringing it, it still continues to go on. Mm-hmm. Even though, because you're always going to have an officer that think that he can outsmart the mm-hmm. system. Or well, I already know how to sneak it in. Being that there's no, uh, they don't sell cigarettes in there anymore. Mm-hmm. So now that the officers now get the tobacco and sneak this tobacco in there, 
I give it to you and tell you, listen, because one cigarette might be $30, $40. Mm-hmm. I know what this pack of tobaccos worth, so make sure you give me 2000 out of that, something like $3,000 out of that or whatever. So it's a business. They mm-hmm. like, yo, later for this salary, I'm not making enough. I need to make some side money. Mm-hmm. So a lot of officers getting caught up in that. And that's not, I mean, it's it's starting to get highlighted more in so, some of these, you know, shows and documentaries and things, mm-hmm. but still not enough. So why, if you know that as like head from the department, mm-hmm. if you know that, yeah, okay, yeah, he did, the, the, the CEO bought it to me, I'm selling this. Why are you charging me? Care, custody, control. I'm under your care, custody, control. I'm I'm only doing what the officer said, if you want to get technical. So we that's why I, I, I pick and choose like when, when the news come on, mm-hmm. I pick and choose what I what I watch on the news. Let's talk about the real shit that's going on. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of this stuff is not making the news at all. You'll be lucky to get in a documentary. That's where people are learning some of these things. But not everybody watches documentaries, obviously. So you're never really going to yeah. see any of this scandalous stuff play out in the news ever. And it happens right. every day. So, Ja Ace, <laughs> we talked a lot today. We yeah, talked yeah, a yeah. lot about, you know, what's going on in the community. We talked about solutions. We talked about, you know, some of these issues that are not being highlighted. Um, I mean, what's next for you in the work that you're doing? Um, I'm going to continue doing what I'm doing until I see some changes because I'm not giving up yet. Mm-hmm. Nor should you. You know, and I don't know. I'm just not a person that until I see some results and like, um, you know how individuals, like I told you, what a what a parole officer's job really is. Mm-hmm. Until I start seeing that happen where the integration mm-hmm. becomes like nothing but success stories happening. We do have them, but I know plenty mm-hmm. that, you know, went, did they, Pay, pay their debt to society or whatever, did their time and came home and they're doing their thing. Mm-hmm. But to see it more, because a lot of individuals that did like, let's say 15 years and more or whatever, their recidivism level is low. And we don't know that. Yeah. As a society, like, we think that they, they back no, in jail, no. back in prison. It's very low. It's not even in double digits as far as the percent go. Mm-hmm. Those who became recidivists or whatever, for the most part, you know, guys who did 15 years and more have come home and and they they didn't return. And it just goes to show that this idea that once a criminal, always a criminal, because if you're doing that kind of time, you were charged with something great. Right. And so this idea that, you know, again, once a criminal, always a criminal is not true. And that people do deserve second chances and that people can change and that people, you know, just like anybody can get caught up, mm-hmm. but that's not, their character is not evil, right? Their character is not, is not malice. You know how like, um, like with marriage or whatever, mm-hmm. like aside from, let's say the, 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 the rings, the ceremony, the, the um, reception, everything, mm-hmm. what's the most important part? Well, the actual <laughs> marriage part, right? No, the actual, for the, me? The oath. Well, yeah. The oath, because yeah. you're making, later for all the people who attended. Yeah. That's what I, I guess that's what I call the made, marriage you part. You made yeah. the oath to God that you're going to do X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. So, 
when I was in, I made an oath. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? That I that if I ever was given an opportunity, I was gonna let let the people know the truth, right? And I was gonna do my duty by trying my best to keep people from entering the system. Mm-hmm. So I'm only standing by my word. Because the uh, oath is your word. Yeah. And I'm just standing by it. That's just what it is. Yeah. You know, I believe in it and like I stand by it. I ask for it. Mm-hmm. Just give me opportunities to, you know, because I knew that I wasn't I wasn't a, a, a bad person. Mm-hmm. Right. I may did I may have done bad things, but I wasn't a bad person. And like I said before, I always had a good family. Mm-hmm. Right. But um, me, me. Being incarcerated, it's just something that had to happen. Yeah. I it mean, was, God takes us through, It was in the cards. Yeah. You know how yeah. everybody get dealt the, mm-hmm. a hand, right? It was in my hand. Like, the, the cards that were dealt, that was in my cards to be incarcerated. And, um, like, it actually spared me, too, mm-hmm. from, you know, possibly doing more. Or being dead. Or being dead, you know, um, because I lost a lot of friends in the street. Mm-hmm. You know, young ages and to gun violence, to, you know, all type of stuff. You know, either dead or in jail. You know, a lot of people, I, you know, went to jail a long time. And, like, then you have, like, individuals that actually learned from what happened with me. Mm-hmm. And they changed their life around. So that's, that's a whole other thing. Like, mm-hmm. Being like that example. Say, Damn, man, like, he... Cause it, they, they, the way it seemed like I was never getting out to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Like, damn, it's like, man, he 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 ain't never getting out. Like, you know, that's how they they saw it. So it made some people turn their whole life around. Went and got jobs, mm-hmm. careers, and some went back to school. And you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But then you had some that may have felt like, nah, I gotta. He ain't here no more. I need to step up. Mm-hmm. And hold shit down or whatever, and they ended up doing negative stuff. So, but you know, and and life is a duality. Yeah, you see what I'm saying. Yeah. So you got you you're gonna have that, but the opportunity that that has been presented, you know, working with just people in general, mm-hmm. I just I just love doing it because it's it's some people that they may wish they can get this opportunity, but they got life in prison, mm-hmm. and they're not get they never get out. So this is for everybody. Yeah. You know, and I believe that when you're doing this type of work and you're in this field, you you, you got to have love and passion for this thing here because it's going to show. Yeah. If you ain't really with it, you're going to expose yourself. Mm-hmm. People are going to see that, nah, this is just a check for you or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. I don't like them people. Me and those yeah. people don't get along. <laughs> like, because yeah. Once I see that you you just about just getting paid for it, I ain't, I don't have a problem with you getting paid for your work. But where's the passion? Where's the passion? Or where's the love? And like, you so your job is to get people to get on that level, mm-hmm. so that they can move, so they can pull more people and and, and save more lives, mm-hmm. or whatever the case may be, male and female. Yeah, because I've worked with all like just not just. Not just the male. I work with with young ladies too. Mm-hmm. You know who have all kind of issues. You know when you listen to like the the, the issues that I've heard all kind of stuff. 
doing my 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 work. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the um, a lot of the the, the young ladies, if you sit down and talk to them, a lot of them they 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 they've been abused. Mm-hmm. But to be able, me as a man now, for them to feel like they can open up to me and tell me that that tells you a lot about me. Yeah. Like they actually come to and say, "Yeah, this is what, what I what I've been through. This is why I'm so that why I be angry a lot, and this, this, and the third. And then the job is to get them to channel that anger into and to being yeah. productive. The job it, it it don't end. I always tell people that you know when you doing what we do, it's it's twenty four seven. And then you gotta you you have your you you have your um. Let's say you're doing it as your as as work. You still got to be doing it in the community. Because now it's like you're kind of taking what you're learning from the the, the job portion of it, right? And mm-hmm. now you're reallocating that same energy yep. back into the community. That's you how you yeah. know who's who right there. It's a, it's a lot of work. And I always commend people who are truly dedicated because it's, it's, not, it's not even about the time-consuming part. It's the energy because it will drain you. It will. But if you're not, if that, if you're not about that life then you're going to easily just drop it. You're going to easily be like, you know, I'm tired. I need a break. Mm-hmm. I need this. If you're not, if this is not like what you, you know, you are passionate about helping people, um, you will, you, you won't last. You will not last. All right, Mr. Ace. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on today's show. I mean, I definitely am going to have you on more and I feel like there's, I'm already seeing different like projects that we can continue doing because you have a lot of information that needs to be shared because people aren't, I mean, I was blown away with a lot of the things that you said today and I'm like, people don't know these things. And, you know, we're hearing about people that are struggling, you know, they're coming home from, you know, from prison or even the youth that are like, you know, they just not understanding Mm -hmm. what's going on. They're out here acting wild. There's nobody really, reaching them where they're at right because i think that's what Mm -hmm. it is you got to reach them where they're at Mm -hmm. you can't you can't be on a pedestal when you're talking to the youth Mm -hmm. you know there's just a lot of that stuff going on and it's like you know you have the resources you have the the institutional knowledge you have the real life knowledge so we definitely want to be able to share that information because that's what it's about right being able to share information so that we can save somebody from making mistakes or we can help somebody prevent them from being a recidivist right um, so I definitely commend you. I definitely thank you for taking this time no to to share your knowledge and to really be about community. No problem at all. I enjoyed it. <laughs> it was a blessing. All right, everyone. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for tuning into another episode of According to RP on WJMS Radio. It's your girl, Rita Pierre, your host, and I will speak to you guys next week. You are listening to According to RP on WJMS Radio. Come back. 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It's all online. WJM.